paying for, for crowds twice a week. So I save up my money to pay for Saturday. Oh, okay. That's in Marin, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing I can hire people cheaper in Marin than in San Fran. So. <laughs> and I don't want to pull out the blow-up dolls, yeah. That gets when it's just me and me and me. <laughs> All right, so uh, you've been listening a little. We'll start it. You want to start it? No, no, I don't want the other stuff on this time. No, I just, yeah. Blow-up dolls are on there, though. What? <laughs> blow-up dolls is on there. The what? Blow-up dolls. Oh, the blow-up dolls. Uh, yeah. The blow-up dolls. <laughs> I've had my reckoning with blow-up dolls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's Charlie. Good. Come on in, Charlie. We're waiting for you. Well, we, we were doing the proceeding and the proceed last Wednesday. We did it Saturday, right? Did, it, did anyone follow what was happening? We did it Wednesday. We did it Wednesday, all right. So that which is perceiving, yeah, because that I've been stuck on that a little bit. It's just such a simple thing to describe the basic uh, conundrum, so to speak. You know, the mixing up of perceived and perceiving. Yeah. To the point where the perceived takes itself to be that which is perceiving. Yeah, there you go. Everything's built on that idea. That's why the solution for the correction isn't a correction when it occurs. You know what I mean? Because it was imaginary. The misplacement was imaginary. As soon as that which is in, in cahoots with the misplacement hits a point where it wants to see it clearly, it sees that when it never happened. Yeah. There was like a, a book called The Course in Miracles, which is sort of like a download in the 70s. And one of theirs, they were always making this, this little uh, cryptic implied statement where they said it's, uh, uh, you're, you're trying to correct an imaginary problem in a way. So basically the correction is that there's no need for a correction. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, in other words, that doesn't need to be corrected, it just has to be seen differently. So again, it lends itself to point to the power that we are, that we're giving everything all the meaning it has. And there's no, there's no exemptions of that. Everything and all are pretty inclusive words. Yeah? So you and I, this is just a perceptual observation. Yeah? You and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. So that means, it seems like that would be a pretty big role we're playing, yeah? <laughs> Seriously, I don't see, I mean, that isn't way down the line. You know, you're, you're at the point of being the dreaming, yeah? Because I would say that's an apt description of what the dreaming is doing, yeah? The dreaming, it isn't doing, it's imagining. The dreaming is giving everything all the meaning it has. And so when the dreaming sees through the dream, let's say, or let's, I don't like the word dream. When the dreaming sees through the dreaming, things can change. When the dreamt tries to see through the dreaming, it's just more of the dreamt, yeah? So at the same point, there's an idea of a dreamt and dreaming. Yeah, there is no, there's no need for an idea of dreaming. There's dreaming, but there's an idea of the dreamt. Yeah, in the dreaming. So in the dreaming, there's an idea that there's a dreamt. 
And so suddenly, in the act of being identified as the dreamt, everything that comes in and goes out seems to come in and out of this. This becomes the reference point, or in shamanism, they would call it the assemblage point. You know, there's a, your energy is assembled in a certain way that you're seeing this little dimensional place of things and time and stuff like that. So if you could shift the assemblage point, you would see anew. Yeah? You know, another thing would be made up, so to speak. Yeah? But the, the, one of the dilemmas is, is that which seems to be in an assemblage point can't change the assemblage point. That would be the same assemblage point, yeah? So basically, for me, the message needs to be uh, accompanied with warnings. You've got to see how the system redoes itself because it's unbelievable how quick it is where you'll have what people call a very high experience called an epiphany where things change like... I mean, the whole flavor of the, of the experiential uh, linear thing can change, usually very dramatically, and then it's all suspended and something else is dominant, yeah? And all the, all the worries of your face will go away, maybe you'll look like a little kid again, laughing and crying and stuff like that. And there was no, you didn't sign up for it, you didn't go to a store, to get it, it just intervened. You could do it anywhere. And then I saw it, it was amazing, because I, uh, I, went, I was involved in one of those things, and I remember I was sitting, there was no noting that you were sitting, but there was, a, there was sitting just off, and then I heard a voice, and it seemed to be far away. Now, I didn't call it mine, I just heard a voice, heard a sound, and then I was just, just in this whatever, and then it seemed the sound started to increase in volume, like it was moving closer, yeah, to wherever my location was, yes? So it's talking to me, to me, to me, and then there was a switcheroo where the hand went in the glove and it started talking as me. It was a beautiful move, yeah? It's like slowly came, and then suddenly the glove went on the hand, and now it was talking as me. Yeah, I was the glove, seemingly. Yes, and then the thing all regrouped, and then the, the epiphany was over in a sense. There was a lot of, like, say, aftershocks for a while. Yeah, but, but the basic displacement had rearranged, and I could see it. I saw it regroup. You know, it was, I could see it almost like a if you were like a horse in a stable and something came in and then it dawned on you, that thing rode you very bad, so you're not really interested in it jumping on you. It's like a jockey, don't worry, it's gonna be different this time. Mm -hmm. And then it starts slowing up and you're like, but suddenly there's a subduing, there's sort of a relenting or whatever, and then there's almost like a pacification. There's just, and then you get ridden. Yeah, and so it was sort of like that. It was a trip, <laughs> and I have witnesses. It was really cool. This woman and this and her son saw the whole thing. It was like went on for a while, and it was in a lovely location in uh, Bali at a waterfall, Probably better than Walmart in Newark, New Jersey. So, <laughs> but I've had a, a, a witness, whatever you want to call it, 
I was in the neighborhood of a few of them, and it really, I noticed after a couple of them that it, the epiphany seemed to get to change, or I changed, when the, a certain uh, string of thoughts came by, which is, was, I'm having an epiphany. So as soon as there was an acknowledgement of the one having the epiphany, the epiphany seemed to suddenly stop, or its influence severely got diminished, and then this influence got dominant once again. Now after seeing this a few times, I realized that wasn't just happenstance. As soon as there's a one who's having the epiphany, it distorts the epiphany. As soon as there's a one, period, distorts whatever, like they say, the observation would be the observation being claimed as the one who's observing. The observation distorts the observer, yeah? That's what happens. It's not like, fucking Michael, you're doing that, stop fucking doing it. It's the, for, it's the formatted event. There's no volition or personalness in it. It's we... When we're seeing something, there's meaning given to it, yeah? And the meaning that's given to it covers up a, the meaning that's really given to this as the seer, yeah? So you, you may meet and recognize the meaning that you're giving things, but you don't recognize the meaning that this thing has been given, yeah? which is you. You usually miss it, I swear. And even when you're really, really hell-bent on proceeding in a spiritual way, you'll be blind to it probably. It's amazing. It's like the biggest elephant in the room that you don't notice because of the stubbornness of the claiming. It's so quick, and the thing is, it drapes the situation in time. So let's say there is just a huge absence of self, of a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, like a huge, spacious thing, yeah? And then a mental process in this huge, spatial, uh, it's not a thing, but space, appears, and then there's the cloak of time that's put over something, and then suddenly that which came after this huge incredible space is now before the huge incredible space, and then the huge incredible space is just not given any interest or attention, you know? It does. So basically, that which is before, once it gets replaced, which it can't be replaced, it's seemingly, it appears that it's been replaced, yeah? That which, so then the, the before has only other, the only other location or position it can now be in is after. So now that which you are becomes after you, and all you can do from here is conceptualize it, basically. You can read about descriptions of what you are, but the problem is they're always going to run into the wall of what you're not. Yeah? The what you're not's going to override all the conceptualizations of what you are. They're not going to break through. They're just going to be like posters put on it. Yeah? It's going to have a lot of knowledge of what it is, but from what it's not. It doesn't go anywhere. It's sort of like the physicist knows there is no world, but gets pissed off the paper boy missed its porch on Sunday, you know? But he, there's no world intellectually completely proven, but it doesn't translate. That the dominant programming just overrides it all. And it overrides like peak experiences. It overrides epiphanies, claims them. It overrides huge displacement. Yeah, it all, you think it's over, and it's never fucking over.
<laughs> so the real beautiful thing is the futility of attempting to arrive at where you already are. Just it's it's totally and that's a, a to me that if you want to have an awakening, it's going to be a rude one. <laughs> really, <laughs> the rudeness of it is going to wake you up out of some things, which is that that eternal hope that somehow, some way, sometime, I'm going to transcend this place, or I'm going to become a super great thing. That's why look at what everyone's watching now. Fucking superheroes all day, just watching all the big every movie is superhero movie. I mean, people are just their hopes are going in. Uh, they're paying for their hopes. You know, I want to kick fucking ass. I want to be touched. I want to wear whatever. You know what I mean? Because they truly believe they're not superheroes. They feel totally beaten in a way. They feel imposed upon, and they have no power to change things they'd love to change. Yeah. So they're in a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, like we say in recovery. So this whole message, oh, it just has such a beauty to it because it's really about nothing. You know, that's so gorgeous about it. It's, it doesn't, it's not like a bugle call to arms. When you hear this message, you'll be called, no, you'll be fucking disarmed, really, because you realize all your me mechanisms, all the way you can know things and grok things and experience things can are not applicable to this because you are it. Yeah. You can't treat it as something other than you if you do. All you can have is concepts of it, really. Yeah, because you are it. That's the one big speed bump we can't seem to get over. You are what you're looking for. <laughs> And it doesn't say you are and then 800 requirements that you make up for you to become what you're looking for. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, all right, you are, get ready. You're going to have to change a lot of fucking things to be what you're looking for because the head will play God with the pursuit of what you're looking for because you've got to look a certain way or act a certain way or be a certain way or have other people believe you're a certain way to find to finally arrive at what you think you are on a conceptual level. Don't we see it all the time? There was a documentary on... On Netflix, where a guy, an Indian guy with long hair and stuff, he was some businessman, decided he was just going to become a guru, just to see, as a joke almost. So he started, he grew his hair longer, read a few things, and he started having followers, followers, and he couldn't fucking believe it. And they were come, and they were having experiences listening to him. He's going, what the fuck? And then he tries to break the news to them; they wouldn't believe him. They wouldn't let him not be the guru. <laughs> so there's a great, there's a great story Ramana Maharshi shares, and I think way before him, and I think it captures tons of important little clues. And it's the old thing about the necklace, the lady with the necklace, and the lady with the necklace loses the necklace. And she's really bummed out. She loved that necklace. It made her look a lot better, seemingly, and all this. So she asked her friends to help her find the necklace. They're not doing well with it. They can't seem to find it. So then they hear about someone who says they have found the necklace. 
you know, not hers, but a necklace. So they start going to the talks where this person talks about finding the necklace, and I think I can show you how to find the necklace, and people are signing up for the program to how to get ready to find the necklace. And it's all predicated on some assumptions that may not be true, but way past that point. We're totally hell-bent on finding that freaking necklace. And so what happens is someone comes over and says, hey, Gladys, whatever, you know, feel your neck. And so the lady puts her hand up and she feels the necklace. So suddenly great joy rushes into her. And the only way her head can translate the event is, I found the necklace. Fucking unbelievable. I found the lost necklace. But it had never been lost. Had it? it had always been around her neck. She just assumed, never really checked it out. She just believed she lost the necklace. Yeah, and when she believed, when she believed she lost the necklace, she was bummed out. Nothing could console her. She wasn't enjoying life at all. And then when she believed that she found the necklace, great joy flooded into us. But the causes of the being bummed out were invalid, or the cause of the joy was invalid because she hadn't lost the necklace, and therefore there was no finding the necklace. It was always available at all times, right, where she was, yeah? It was, it was her, the seeming absence of the necklace was based on her. It wasn't based on the necklace. The necklace is there at all times, always available, right where you are, but she was hell-bent on the story, her head was, that she lost the necklace. And then a great joy, she was, it was like a drug addict, really. You shoot up, actually drug addicts are smarter, they get a rush immediately. Here, you've gotta believe you've lost something you haven't lost, so they get the great joy of finally finding it. But you may take a long, 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 long time to get to that pseudo joy of finding it, yeah? So why not just start at the point it was never freaking lost? Or as our book says, I have a new book out, you can buy it on Amazon, on having never left, yeah, which implies the exact same thing. On having never left probably would put into question most of your freaking day, basically, every day. <laughs> every person got a little public little internet message or text message on having never left, yeah. How was your day, Paul? on having never left. <laughs> what? You would see my whole day wasn't based on on having never left, it was based on trying to freaking arrive or trying to say someplace where I'm gonna get kicked out at any minute, yeah? The whole day, the whole interpretation would not be based on on having left, it would be based on I've lost the fucking necklace. Really, yeah? I've lost the necklace, that's the starting point. It's erroneous. So on having never left is like, you never lost the necklace. Now you'll miss out on the great joy of finding it, but I'll tell you something, the stabilization of okayness, I think is well worth it, yeah? To miss out on the big rush, I found the necklace, and going on your blog and telling everyone and, talk, and then trying to make, this is how I found the necklace, when there wasn't even freaking lost. But the point is, the joy of having that stabilized, where you realize, yeah, it is pointless to try to find something that isn't lost, yes? It is so disarming. 
and it just it shows you time from timelessness yeah on having never left is close to timelessness and it shows you the, the effects and the influence of time it shows you it man. and then you can see Jesus Christ this current though dry so I didn't know it has been pushing this thing every day all day unto some level of arriving it's constantly arriving arriving departing arriving arriving departing departing arriving on and on and on but upon having never left there's the peace there's the serenity and the th funny thing is when this thing becomes when it's not a thing when it becomes obvious to you i believe because it was so obvious when it downloaded that it's always been this way yeah so all the years it doesn't matter if it was five minutes or 30 years it doesn't matter the length of time where you believed you weren't there when it becomes obvious that there that there says it's always been this way so it doesn't matter that five minutes of belief didn't change a fucking thing the 30 years of belief didn't change a freaking thing yeah time isn't changing timelessness timelessness will override time yeah just like we always share about dreaming at night you have the five second dream or the 300 year dream it takes the exact same amount of time to wake up from it a 300 year epic dream of homeric journeys doesn't take months to wake up from you wake up just like you do a five second thing of being at the office drinking a cup of fucking cold coffee same thing because it's all an illusory fucking imagined activity that has no it has no weight other than the weight the dreaming gives it and the dreaming giving it can extract that meaning yeah it's not a fucking contract that's guaranteed the dreaming can lose interest in the dreaming the dreaming can lose interest in that which is coming and going. The dreaming can lose interest in time. The dreamers can, can lose interest. It's more joyous to feel like I've lost something and then find it than to have it at all times. So let's just believe I've lost something that can't be lost so I can have the great joy of finding it. It gets loses interest in that also. Yeah? And in that loss of interest, which is to me the real indication something's going on, is when the interest gets taken from all those fucking mental directed tributaries and goes back to the source of the ocean and then goes back out again in a different way, you know? Gets brought back and then just goes in and you'll see by your observation, this is an observation, this is an expression. It has sentience. It can observe stuff. It's a couple of months late usually, but it can observe stuff. It can. So after a while, it observes. Jesus Christ, I'm traveling later. And the beautiful thing is, it's impossible, and it is impossible for it to attempt to claim to be the cause of the traveling later. It's so beautiful. So the recognition is built in humility. It's you know, totally right-sized, and then the effect sees itself as an effect. And this, the cause, sees itself as an expression. And then the cause, and that which is causing all effects, cannot be known, cannot be seen, cannot be tasted, cannot be touched, but can be intimated and honored, yes? 
and you get little glimpses of what you are because you're the seeing of what you're not. And all day, what you are is appearing as what you're not. What is that but love? It's a constant reminder of what you are by seeing what you're not. And Hawaiian Po was like a great little fucking intermediary. He said, whatever can be perceived is what you're not, basically. And what's perceiving can't be perceived. So there you go. <laughs> now the correction has occurred, and then there was no need for a correction. And then you see through it. That's the beautiful thing. You don't see it because there isn't anything there. You see through it. You see through the dreaming. Yeah. It continues just like if you saw a mirage and you went there and you found there was no water and when you walk back you can still see the mirage. The, op the optical illusion keeps appearing but you know there's no water. Yeah. You know there's no reality in it. It doesn't mean it doesn't have consequences while in the dreaming. It doesn't have this. It doesn't mean anything other than, as, Bud as Buddhism would say, it's inherently empty. Yeah? There's nothing in it. There's no... Yeah? We are what we're looking for. Not as a thing. Yeah? And we're not going to be seen by a thing. So you hear the message. I mean, non-duality is like one perch you never have to leave. When an aspect of you lands on it, it never has to leave. It's fucking solid, sound, foundational, super incredibly clear a pure negation of an imaginary event, directed not at the thing that's in the event, but at the dreaming of the event. So the message, how, how the message gets lost is by what's claiming to be the hearer of the message. The thing believes it's hearing the message about no thing. Yeah? If you can, again, just keep putting it out there every year <laughs> that this isn't going to you where the message isn't directed at you, nor is it directed from me, yeah? The message is to what you are, and the message entails, the information in the message is about what you're not. We're not giving any information about what we are because there's no need to be, you are it. You don't need, you need information about what you're not so that you can see you're not that, yeah? Just get it clear. You don't need to know what you are, intellectually. <laughs> you don't. You don't need to know you're the all and all ever-present brilliance. You don't need it. None of that's necessary. You are it. What you need to know is what you're not, because we're up that glove. Yeah? And in that glove, we're looking at everything from the glove's view. We're uh, moving towards everything as a glove. And the thing is, is the hand is animating it all. Yeah? So the hand, once it realizes it's not the glove or here's the idea, it can easily pull itself out of the glove. The glove trying to pull itself out of the glove doesn't fucking work. <laughs> it can't get out. But the hand can. Because the hand, as Jesus says, the hand is in the glove. He doesn't say this, but the hand is in the glove, but is not of the glove. Yeah. 
is a beautiful way of putting it. So he would say, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. So you're in this globe, but you're not of the globe. Yeah? So why is it so difficult? Because there's an act of being identified as a globe. That's the fail-safe mechanism. That's what it always falls back on, that it's you. Yeah? So when you start... <laughs> The whole idea of who am I, self-inquiry, is for what you're not to ask what it's not, what it is. <laughs> Basically, you're attempting to use <laughs> the subjectness of what you're not, the who am I, asking the object yeah, what you're not, who am I, or actually more clearly, from whence do you come, because everything's coming from what we are. Yeah. So the imaginary bubble got blown out of the, of the mind and the mouth of the dreaming. So if you follow it back, so you negate. You negate yourself as a subject, you negate yourself as an object. Ding, 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 and then suddenly there's no answer. Who am I? Nothing comes up. That's the answer. <laughs> You've never left. <laughs> You've always been here. That's why we're missing you. <laughs> so, now, who am I? Well, it's on me. All right, ask the me, who am I? Uh, um, did I do the laundry? Oh, so I can't leave the interview room that fast. Who am I? From whence do you come? Uh, from Long Island, from now, <laughs> who came from Long Island? Uh, me, who is this me? Uh, mm, the one who came from Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I go now? No. <laughs> I got things to think about now. Who's the thinking? Who's the thinker? Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> Now, who's asking me who's me? <laughs> what gets left? Nothing. That's everything. Yeah, it's so beautiful, really. Who is that? I don't know. Hopefully it's not that homeless person sleeping today. We'll see. Uh, yeah, so that's the message. Now, here we find yeah, I think. I don't know. It could make other people would say it isn't, but... I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful, it's seamless, because you can speak about this for years. Yeah. Because it doesn't go into affirmation, or let's go, all right, get ready, let's go towards what we are. No, it just stays at what you're not, 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 with the hopes, and I'm not even hope, I have total faith, because that's how it happens with me. I just went to satsangs, I didn't even hear this, I just know after I went to satsang, and was given a, like a new direction, I ran into these statements in books, and I, I was going, I, no one's been talking about this, and it seems to be a very important point, this, I, this, presupposing a non-existent thing as you basically looking for salvation for itself and then if that's the case the spiritual practices themselves are going to reinforce the non-existent thing how can they destroy it how is that not getting emphasized 
sort of like if this, if spirituality was like a cigarette pack, it would be that warning, you know, this could be dangerous to your, to your health. It would be, it would be that, it should be on every fucking book. Just to make a statement, all right, before you buy this book, sir, can you ask this question, can you answer this question? Are you the presupposing, is, are you the presupposing of a non-existent thing that wants to get salvation for itself by reading this book? If that's the case, your spiritual practices, which include reading this book, are reinforcing the non-existent thing, how can they, they destroy it? I mean, wouldn't that, if you're ready, that will put you to a stop, you know? We once did acid, my first time I ever did acid was out in Long Island, in this area called Hamptons. It was old fourth season, there was no one there. So we got in a car, and we came up to a stop sign, and we stopped there for like 45 minutes. We just, we took it literally, stopped, and we just sat there. Everyone was just tripping the brains out. So it's sort of like that, you know? These things stop something in you when you hear them. They do. It did with me. When I heard you can't, you know, use the Buddha to seek the Buddha, I had, it seemed to fit that I had been doing that for quite a while. I'm going to be right. Hey, can you go, Mike, and see if anyone's in the bathroom? We'll end the meeting. I saw someone come in. So. I didn't know the door was closed. Open. So, honey, we're, we're going to end the meeting, I think, now. Yeah. Turn, yeah.